Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Jeffrey Tucker, uh, head of content at the Foundation for Economic Education. Jeff, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about the uh, foundation. What's the purpose and what do you guys do? We were founded in 1946 as a kind of sanctuary for liberal thought. Back in those days, the word liberal meant free, <laughs> freedom and that sort of thing. So free markets, innovation, human dignity, human rights, that sort of thing. And Fee took in a lot of dissonant intellectuals from war-torn Europe, and it was quite beautiful, published a lot of books. And here it is, 21st century, and I find that we're kind of doing the same thing today. And uh, hmm. we have been a haven for edgy ideas, uh, t- trying to discern the future and defend the rights of individuals over their property, the freedom to trade, the freedom to associate. And we've been very consistent, 71 years of work on behalf of human dignity. It's it's kind of a good record. We're doing that today. So what are what are some of the mo- the biggest successes or the most important campaigns that um that you guys have been involved in over the years in your estimation? Well, I would I don't know, I was just thinking about this as Bitcoin reaches ten thousand. You know, we were one of the earliest people in the space. I think the first article we ran on Bitcoin, Bitcoin was running about fourteen dollars. So we were out there pretty early on to say, hey, this is a viable technology. This is something to consider very strongly as a possible implementation of Hayek's idea of choice in currency. Uh, we have to get get away from nationalized money and start start uh, experiencing what what uh, an innovative private currency looks like. And that was that was a long time ago. But uh, and a lot of people criticized us for that. But you know. Uh, as part of sort of being in this in this position is you have to you have to have a as best you can a kind of a nonpartisan you know objective uh, defense of human freedom and you know for for me like last week I wrote an article praising the Trump administration's decision concerning net neutrality I think it's very good that we repealed that it's a government regulation and it helps uh, free the market and introduce competition where it hasn't existed for two years at the same time. Right now, I'm writing a piece criticizing the Trump administration for its rejection of the AT&T-Time Warner merger, which, as far as anybody can tell, is being rejected solely for political reasons. So that's the point. You know, you, you, want, you want to have one standard, and, uh, and that standard is, is human liberty and uh, and economic vitality, human flourishing, that sort of thing. 
And that doesn't always fit with partisan politics. So we, we tend to avoid those kind of, we're, we're not part of anybody's tribe, I guess. And I, I think these days in a culture that's really torn by tribal politics and, and, and group psychology and, and, you know, party vituperation and that sort of thing, you need institutions that are independent, that are just willing to, you know, call things as they are. Well, what about going back before Bitcoin? Yeah, not me being involved in, but if you go back to like 1946, it was the the foundation that made possible the publication of a of a book by a dissident European intellectual who who fled uh, the German uh, takeover of Austria and he went to uh, Geneva and then Geneva kicked him out and came to the New York and found sanctuary at Fee. Uh, that was Ludwig von Mises, and it was the foundation that encouraged him to translate his German book, Nuts in All Economy, into the English book, Human Action, oh, wow. which at the time, you know, it was eight, eight, 850, 900 pages, and Yale University didn't want to publish it. So the foundation agreed to buy the entire first print run and distribute it alone. And it was that decision that made possible that that book, which turned out to be quite a, a huge seller, actually. It went into three editions before 1966. And I think is now in its fifth edition and and still teaching it's, it, teaching economists. I mean, it's a book for the ages, you know, and that, that was made possible by fee. You know, another book that came out in 1946, actually, was a book by Henry Hazlitt called Economics in One Lesson. And Henry Hazlitt was a trustee of Fee. He had left. He was kicked out of the New York Times, actually, and and he made his home Fee. And it was Fee that that provided that that sort of infrastructure of intellectual support. Uh, other people that relied on that: Leonard Reed, Ayn Rand, um, F. A. Hayek. Uh, it was it was a hugely important institution. And throughout the 1950s and the 1960s, Fee took a principled stand for for free trade at a time when tariff barriers were falling and a lot of the American business class was very panicked about this, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the tariffs were, tariffs were going away gradually and, uh, the, the, you know, uh, steel came under pressure. The textiles industry has been under pressure for a very long time. And, and fee has always taken a principled stand for, for free trade. And that's, that's not always easy when you're supported by a bunch of business people who tend to be, you know, in their own self-interest, a little bit. Uh, uh, the, you know, they they they're not always for free trade. I mean, they they like the idea. Well, of quick um, quick question on that. You know, it sounds like free trade would be good, but you know, we seem to end up with huge trade deficits. You know, with China, with Mexico, et cetera. Is that because it's yeah. just done the wrong way, or is it the nature of free trade itself leads to that inevitably? The the statistic of the trade deficit is a, is a strange one because it really is just. Uh, an accounting measure of whether you're buying more from that country than that country is buying from you. Uh, you know, we all have a trade deficit with, um, you know, the public supermarket down the street or Amazon. I mean, Amazon's not buying from you. You're buying from Amazon. Right. So, uh, you know, th- these, these much, kind of, yeah, yeah it's, it's, there's a, there's an illusory element to this, this trade, trade statistics. And it's one of my annoyances with the Trump administration. They're always citing trade deficits as, as if they're real debts, you know, that China owes us, you know. I mean, not really. Uh, it's it's a little bit of an illusion. So, you know, tra- trade is a, a funny topic because it's, it's on one hand simple. On the other hand, 
there's infinite numbers of complications. I mean, the simple point is that we have the right as human beings to buy from whomever and sell to whomever. You know, I mean, that's a simple case for free trade and borders shouldn't really matter. Uh, the complications come concerning issues of nationalism and politics and all kinds of other things get get mixed up in the case. But, but again, that's why I think you need institutions like like the foundation here um, to to kind of be the counterweight to everybody's desire to use government to benefit themselves. And uh, you know, a core point of fee has been government should be neutral to economic outcomes. That we really need market processes to. Uh, to prevail so that we can have as much prosperity um, and and freedom as possible. So how long have you been involved with FEE personally? Uh, personally, I've been here, let's see, I guess I was tapped about four years ago to come along. And my first job was really to refurbish this digital space. I've been, I've been kind of working in uh, digital media now since, since the internet uh, became a thing, uh, the web browser really in 1995. And I built, a number of properties and uh, rather successfully. So fee was a little bit behind in 1993 when I came along. So um, I kind of shepherded the uh, new web space in uh, to Bean. And then once fee.org itself became the number one website in its class, um, then I then I moved over to directly managing the content of the site and. Uh, integrating the technology with with the content, and and I've been able to sustain the the power and reach of the website. And, and today we send out about seventy five thousand daily emails to our daily content, and we have one or two million visitors a month, depending on the month. And it's got some uh, some reach and some influence. I'm uh, I'm really proud of that because in today's information economy, it's hard to get anybody's attention for anything. I mean. So, yeah, it's fragmented, it's a billion websites, dark socials, mystery, you know, there's a lot going on out there. So in order to compete uh, and get the right ideas out there, you really have to be clever and adaptive and really responsive uh, to the news cycles. And it it asks a lot of us. I, I lead a pretty good-sized team of, uh, I guess, six people that I work directly with on just content, but then... We have another six to eight, you know, working marketing. Another half dozen on technology, and then, and then contractors around the world working on on media. So it's it's become, you know, still we're I guess by any standard a, a kind of a small business, but uh, we're doing a lot for a small business. I mean, competing with with the with the big guys. Well, tell me, you know, I'm not saying you're old, but you certainly have a much longer view of things than, you know, I'm taking us back to the crypto space specifically. Yeah. So. I want to hear your perspective because you've been around with the dot com boom. Yeah. You've been around for a while, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you I see that other people don't see. You know, what what right. how does it look to you versus other people? Well, uh, I remember in '95 when you first started even having a glimmer of something like uh, internet commerce. A lot of companies jumped into the space and started moving on that, seeing that this was the future. And when '99 and 2000 came with the dot com boom. It seemed to refute the idea that the internet and commerce could ever be merged, that there was any future to this thing. And people in 2000, 2001 were dismissing the internet as being 
just a fad, you know, and it was about that time that I guess Facebook started coming along and started seeing the first includes of social media. And a lot of the old time investor world was just putting it down as being a t- time wasting nonsense and that, that there would uh, there always be uh, a flea towards physical things. I'm, I was suspicious at the time because one of the things I've learned in this space is that innovation really counts for something. And maybe it won't happen in the near term, but over the long term. And sure enough, it's interesting because a lot of investors were traumatized from 2000 to 2003 and four, and really extending for as much as a decade. They were afraid of the internet. And the people who were really? afraid, yeah, they were putting it down and saying, oh, Amazon's ridiculous. You know, that there's never going to be any piece of this stuff. And those people missed out because, you know, the Amazon stock recovered uh, very quickly. I mean, not very quickly, it recovered in about two or three years after the dot com bust. I, I don't remember the numbers, but I think it was it went from you know 300. I'm just slightly making this up, but I'm approximately correct from like 300 or 400 down to something like 10 dollars. You know, it was a, quite a route. Yeah, a lot of them did, but you know that's also the way uh, creative destruction works. I mean, not every business is viable, and and that's part of the trick of of being able to pick what's what is to find the viable companies. But the the thing that I've learned is that you really need to look at the technology rather than the particular company. You know, is this a sound technology? Is it contribute something to human well-being? Is it something that that is going to last? And when I looked at Bitcoin uh, thoroughly in about 2000, I started looking at it in 2012, and then and I, began, I kind of threw myself all the way in in 2013. What I saw is something, something new. It solved a very old human problem in a brand new way. And I, I was pretty sure that we were in for the long term. And I've, I've, you know, I've been through many cycles of, of boom and bust within the crypto space. And now I don't worry about it anymore. I mean, even a couple of months ago, um, <laughs> see if I'm getting the numbers right. I think, I think Bitcoin fell from 5,000 down to 3,000, something like that. I mean, it seems incredible now that we're approaching 10,000, but it was right. a dramatic, huge drop. And I, you know, I don't sweat it anymore. I mean, even today. Yeah, right. And 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 we could approach January 1 and right before the magic uh date comes, we could see a fall down to back down to uh 4 or 5,000 and and everybody will go crazy. And you know, it's funny to me because every time one of these crashes happen, uh the news media calls me up and says, "Hey, you know, what do you have to say for yourself, you know?" Well, I mean, to me, that Bitcoin ever became worth the same amount as the world's most powerful fiat currency, namely the dollar, that it ever reached one dollar is itself amazing. It's already proof of concept. Uh, that it ever became two dollars is by itself an astonishing fact. So, you know, it, it, as much as possible, it's best not to focus on the price, it's re- but rather focus on the technology and the, the, the sheer implausibility that something like uh, magic internet money could ever become a, a, a close competitor to national money. So it's, it's a transformative fact. So where are we going with Bitcoin and, you know, crypto over the next couple of years? What's your opinion? Um, I, I think we're going to see ever more assets entering into the space and they're going to be viable assets that do various things. The important thing to remember about blockchain technology in general is that it's like fire or like electricity or like flight. There are many, many applications to it. 
so it's an information technology. One of the applications is money. And in that class of applications, there's Bitcoin, but there's also uh, another thousand competitors with that, uh, from, from Litecoin to, to Dash. And now you have new, new forms of Bitcoin, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Diamond, Bitcoin Cash, and so on. All these right. things are interesting. We're going to have to let the market sort it out. Um, but aside from that, there's a whole asset class that's out there that is not on the Bitcoin blockchain that lives on different blockchains that are written in different scripting languages, has different proof of work and proof of stake concepts and different methods for mining. And they do different things. You know, they, uh, they run portfolio systems. They enact smart contracts. They provide a, uh, a mutable record of property titles, there's many things. Anything you can think that you currently use lawyers for, the blockchain can do. So that's, we've only begun seeing the number of applications that are possible within the blockchain space. It's going to be amazing. We're experiencing a gold rush right now, and I have no doubt that uh, we're gonna see many more flash crashes and uh, upheaval, um, but you know it's very difficult to know going into this precisely which which ones are going to work and which ones aren't, and that's why you know I like to think of it, uh, this as being a little bit like maybe the eighteen the late eighteen sixties or something in the and the and the railroad industry. Nobody, everybody knew railroads were a thing, but nobody knew for sure which companies were going to win out in the space. There were there was a lot of crashes, a lot of fraud, a lot of deception. You know. Uh, and, and if you read the headlines between the 18, between say 1869 and, and, uh, you know, 1895, it would be entirely about the scandals and the crashes and fraudulence and the companies that went belly up and the trains that crashed and so on and so on. Uh, the problem with those headlines is that they missed the bigger picture, which is that human, the, the way humans uh, transport themselves from one place to another dramatically changed over the course of those decades. And that's that's the same thing with, with Bitcoin. I, I think in the next 20 years, we're going to gradually see uh, a, a complete uh, destruction of the money monopoly of the federal government, uh, of all governments in the world. That doesn't mean that national monies are going to go away completely, but I think they're going to be seriously deprecated relative to cryptocurrency because they just can't keep up. It's just not as good the technology and governments are going to fight, fight, fight to keep right. their euros and their dollars and their yens. But in the end, it's going to be the bitcoins and the bitcoin caches and the dashes and moneros and so on that are where all the activity is. And if you look at the market capitalization of the crypto sector right now, I mean, I think this morning, last I looked, it was it was three hundred billion. I mean, that's right. almost as big as J.P. Morgan itself. And keep in mind that that's not just some big number. That's, that's actual owners of assets. So these people are not inclined to sell because, uh, because the deflationary atmosphere within the crypto space is so intense right now. Uh, the more you hold, the more money you, you make. But at some point, uh, this money will be invested. It will be spent. And it's going to come online and be the basis of a kind of a new prosperity. And it's going to give rise to a new digital aristocracy, or I should say meritocracy, really, that's going to replace the old ruling class with, with a new group of very libertarian-minded 
uh, uh, owners, investors, and and captains of digital industry. It's going to be a, a beautiful thing to see. That is happening right now, and there is nothing governments in the world can do it uh, do to stop it, no matter how much they want to. Well, last last question or two. Um, what project or projects are you most excited about now that you see in the crypto space? Why? Maybe like your top favorite one or two. Well, I mean, immediately we've got a real problem in the in Bitcoin land that uh, Bitcoin has become very expensive to uh, to to send and very slow, and that's because the network is so clogged. So there's so many people that are working on solutions right now to that, and some of them involve forking the chain, expanding the block size, inventing new Lightning networks that live you know, outside of Bitcoin, you know, new strategies like SegWit that, that separate out certain forms of data from the transactions to speed things up. Uh, wallets, uh, and hard wallets, cold source uh, solutions are all trying to adapt as fast as possible to make Bitcoin viable again. So that's very interesting. Uh, uh, and, and I don't know what kind of classes of currencies are going to emerge from that. I mean, I, I'm interested to see whether or not whether Bitcoin becomes a kind of really viable payment system, or I think actually more likely over time, it's going to become a system of, of final uh, settlement, uh, final settlement uh, between uh, uh, large clumps of transactions, which will which will work based on uh, um, forms of forms of, of credit essentially. And um, seeing all that happen is going to be very interesting. I Something makes me doubt that we're going to be – I don't think we're going to be pricing things in terms of Bitcoin. I, my guess is we're going to be pricing things in terms of some other uh, technology, some other uh, lightning networks or some other coins, some other asset classes. I'm fascinated to see some of these – some of these offshoots of Bitcoin, like uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash, is just Bitcoin forked the chain and just added, you know, and and multiplied the block size by eight times just to relieve some of the pressure. And I I think some of some of that's going to be necessary. Or Bitcoin Gold, which is Bitcoin with the exception of a different mining method that hopes to decentralize mining because right now mining has very become very centralized in in China. Uh, just because the price of electricity is lower and that sort of thing, so you know, watching all this happen is very exciting. But but I'm also fascinated with things like uh, there are a lot of non-tokenized chain operations that are uh, that are that are happening right now. Um, every every major bank has uh, consulting services working on building blockchains for themselves that are not tokenized, which is to say that you can't buy a stake in the protocol. But they still work like uh, like regular blockchains, you know, just distributed ledgers, and that is fascinating to me. We're going to do things in the future, like register our our land and our cars and our marriages and all sorts of things right. on these public public ledgers, and we need technologies for doing that. And so I'm, you know, I consult for some kinds of com- companies that are involved in these spaces, like like Factum. And that is a tokenized blockchain that that just focuses on registering property titles. You know, that's that's all it does. And I, I think that's really an interesting thing. Okay. So many things that we've we've trusted government agencies to do in the past will be done on these distributed networks in the future. All right, well, Jeff, we're um we're pretty much out of time. I you know I like to I'd love to hear more. I know you've got a lot to say. Where, where can we give a resource to listeners to go to hear more about uh, to learn more about fee and to hear more about your thoughts? 
Yeah, just head over to fee.org, uh, subscribe to the daily email. We've got a lot to say. We run eight to 10 articles a day. And so that comes to, I don't know, what is 50 a, 50 a week at, at least. Um, right. But it's a wonderful source of uh, news analysis and, and opinion that I think you'd enjoy. I, I tend to write every single day. So thanks for, thanks for asking. All right, well, very good. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.